0: Well, good morning, and welcome to Grace Harvest Baptist Church. Just to set the record straight, the pastor did not get uh, ahead of everybody else and decide to break ground over here for a new building, okay? that—that That is uh, uh, our groundskeeping team is doing some work uh, to uh, excavate over there so the, the drainage field is not... Uh, so cumbersome to to ride our uh, lawn equipment over, so that's what's that's what's going on out there. So that, that's but we do encourage you, as you, you see in the back, the um, the pledge box is back there. Uh, again, we've asked the the body of Christ through my email last week and through um, Jesse standing last week and sharing with you where God has us right now and seeing what uh, God how God's people are going to respond to that challenge. So. Please uh, fill out your pledges, uh, if, and also, if you're not able to do it through the box or through the cards, you can do it online. You can check out our webpage at ghbcva.org, and it's right there in the main banner as well. You can click on that, you, can, you make that pledge, and you can send it to, directly to Rachel. Again, as a reminder, the elders don't see uh, individual pledges or names only thing we're given is a tally at the end of how much money is pledged over the next two years and how many family units have pledged that. Um, I am excited about again about Easter coming up. We will have uh, two services on Easter Sunday. But on Thursday night, we will uh, we will have a series on the, uh, a sermon on the Last Supper on Thursday night. Of, of that week prior to Easter Sunday and then on our Friday we'll, I'll be preaching on the crucifixion. So Thursday and Friday uh, before Easter, uh, we will have services here and with some fellowship and some refreshments afterwards. So I encourage you to put that on your calendar. This morning we are, as you get ready, turn in your Bibles. I'm going to give you a head start there to Revelation chapter 7, Revelation chapter 7, starting in verse 9. Uh, the end is near. This is week four of our, uh, the, the uh, sermon series in the end times. And this is part two of the tribulation part of that series. The first week I talked about the uh, rapture of the church and that would occur and how that would occur. If you've missed that, you can go back online and you can view that sermon. Um, just as a reminder, that is that those of us who are alive when Christ comes... For his bride will uh, be taken away. Uh, we will not die. We will meet Christ in the air. And those who have died in Christ, all the loved ones that we have now, are in spirit with Christ. The moment they died, their spirit was with the Lord, and they wait for their glorified bodies. And that occurs at the rapture. And then after that is the judgment seat, where every Christian uh, will be judged. Not in the sense of your sins. And um, but in reference to the crowns that we will be given remember Christian you will never stand guilty before your God you have been shown mercy and grace and that brings us to the tribulation where last week uh, we had some introduction but before I get there I want to introduce you to a, a, a preacher um, a former Catholic uh, uh, bishop in uh, England back in the 16th century his name was Hugh Latimer, and he was an English reformer pastor, and he stood up against the Catholic Church, and um, he 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 was one that that uh, told the 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 Pope in Rome and the rest of them that this nonsense about who how we get saved, about the Mass, about transubstantiation, where they teach that the body of Christ is turned in every time that they have service and have a mass and they lift up the Eucharist that they turn by the priest's words, he turns that Eucharist into the body of Christ and he turns the wine into the blood of Christ. They sacrifice every mass they have, they sacrifice Christ again. And of course, we are we know in scripture that it is symbolic of what Christ did for us, he forgave When he went to the cross and he suffered and died for our sins, the night he was betrayed, he took that bread, he broke it, and he said, Take, eat of of this, for this represents my body that will be broken for you. And when he took up the cup, he said, "Uh, Drink of this. This this wine that he drank represents the blood that's going to be shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. And so this Hugh Latimer was eventually burned at the stake because one of his sins by Mary, Queen of Scott, when she came into power, which is the Roman, uh, she was Roman Catholic, she she burned him at the stake because he, along with many other reformers at that time, insisted that the Bible should be in English, and he refuted the teachings of the Roman Catholic Church. So to keep him quiet, they burned him. But this is what he had to say about the Lord's return. He, this is a quote from him. There are a great number among the Christian people who in the Lord's Prayer, when they pray, Thy kingdom come, pray that the day may come, but yet, nonetheless, they are drowned in the world. They say the words with their lips, but they cannot tell the meaning of it. They speak it only with their tongue, which saying is to no purpose. But that man or woman who says these words, Thy kingdom come, with a faithful heart, No doubt they desire indeed that God will come to judgment and to amend all things in this world and to pull down Satan, that old serpent, under our feet. But there are a great number of us who are not ready. Some have lived in this world 50 years, some 60. Yet for all that, they are not prepared for his coming. They think always that he will not come yet. But I tell you that though... His general coming is not yet, yet for all that he will come one day and take us out of this world. And no doubt if he finds us ready and in the state of salvation, no doubt we shall be saved forever, world without end. Therefore, it it is right for every one of us to take heed. Let us not tarry too long with our amendment, lest we come too short. Now, again, this was written in the 16th century. Uh, all those years ago, when people lived, they thought they were old when they lived in their 50s and 60s, and that's why he said that. And I want you to think about something. What would he think about the world today? If he thought the people back then weren't ready for the coming of Christ, what do you think would happen today? I know that there's probably people in this very room, this very moment, or listening at home, or wherever you're listening right now, that think, yeah, I want the Lord to come, but not yet. I want this to happen in my life. I want, I, I'm getting ready to get married, Pastor. I'm getting ready to have a child, Pastor. I'm getting ready to retire, Pastor. I'm getting ready for this to happen. Can the Lord just hold off and make it convenient for me? And the sad thing is that many of us, including your pastor, has felt that way through the years. Instead of really sincerely praying, God, will you return? Will you come and collect your bride, even if it was this very hour? And so as we have gone through this introduction to the tribulation period, uh, and last week we were introduced to several people, today I would like you to stand with me as we honor the reading of God's Word here in Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 17. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could count, from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches with, were in their hands. And they cry out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne, and the elders and the four living creatures as they fell on their faces before the throne, and worshipped God, saying, Amen. The blessing and the glory and the wisdom and the thanksgiving and the honor and the power and the strength be to God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders answered, saying to me, These clothed in the white robes, who are they and from where have they come? And I said to him, My Lord, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation. And they washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. For this reason they are before the throne of God, and they serve Him day and night in His sanctuary, and He who sits on the throne will dwell over them. They will hunger no longer, nor thirst any more, nor will the sun beat down on them nor any heat. For the Lamb at the center of the throne will shepherd them and will guide them to springs of the water of life, and God will wipe every tear from their eyes. Oh, Father, what an what a awesome picture of the tribulation saints. How they will suffer for you, Father, and yet, Lord, you will never leave them nor forsake any that are yours. And, Father, as your people gather in this building today, as we come on this Sunday to worship our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, as we remember the resurrection, as we will break bread and drink of the fruit of the vine today, Lord, we remember the sacrifice of your Son to make us have a right relationship with you. I pray today, Lord, that the proclamation of your word would bring comfort to your people. It would bring correction in the lives that need correcting. And, Father, I pray, Lord, that it would bring us encouragement and strength as we again look at what you have said will happen when you come again. Father, I pray that you receive the glory and honor for it all. In Jesus' precious name, amen. So last week, we we began to answer the three important questions about the tribulation. When does it begin? Who is involved? And what happens? We will continue with the who is involved this week. And then next week, we will start with the what happens during the tribulation period specifically as we walk through those seven years. Uh, Again, we were introduced uh, last week to the Antichrist. The Antichrist is the political ...and military leader that will rise up in the world uh, that will serve Satan. And he has uh, his own high priest, the false prophet, who will be the religious leader... ...that people will come to worship the Antichrist as if he was God himself. And so we we left off last week in Revelation chapter 14. So if you want to flip in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 14... And I'll be reading from verses 9 through 11, where John describes the horrible fate that awaits those who worship the image of the Antichrist. This was where we finished off last week. Then another angel, a third one, followed them, saying with a loud voice, "...if anyone worships the beast and his image, and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, and he also will drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is mixed in full strength in the cup of his rage." And he will be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of that torment goes up forever and ever. And they have no rest day and night, those who worship the beast and his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. So those who survive the terrors of the tribulation to this point will be faced with two hard, distinct choices. And so... What happens here, and I get this question all the time, well, what happens, will, the, will God uh, allow His people to receive the mark of the beast? Or will, will I get it accidentally if somehow I'm still here? Well, first of all, if you're a Christian, you won't be here. We need to make sure you understand that. Now, if you're sitting here today and you don't know Christ as Savior, and if the rapture occurs and you look at all those people that told you that this was going to happen are gone, uh, I, I believe that that will be the day you receive Christ as Savior. And you will be here, and you will have the the Bible to read and to study, uh, and and you will know that these things are coming. And so you will get to that point where you will be here if you're not his already, and about sometime during the tribulation period, the Antichrist will identify his as having the mark of the beast on their hands or their foreheads. And if you receive that mark of the beast, we've just read what Scripture says will happen to you. And so, again, nobody will take it accidentally. People who belong to Christ will not yield to the enemy, will not yield to Satan. How do we know that? In Romans chapter, uh, not Romans 12, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it tells us, I believe it's in verse 3, that no man can call Jesus Lord unless the Holy Spirit allows him to. Therefore, regeneration occurs in us. God gives us the faith. By God's grace, we're given the faith to believe in His Son as Lord and Savior. And so the Holy Spirit allows us to confess with our lips that Jesus is Lord. That's what the Bible says we have to do, confess with our lips that Jesus is Lord. When we acknowledge Him as Lord and Savior, we realize that our sin will cast us into hell forever, that we acknowledge before a holy God that I am unworthy, I am a sinner in need of a Savior, when I realized that Christ went to that cross, suffered and died for me, He rose again on the third day and sits at the right hand of the Father to make intercession for me. When I acknowledged that with my lips, the Bible said I was saved. I was born again. And so, therefore, I do not have to worry about the wrath of God. I have no fear in that. That's why I can live every day in joy, even in the midst of trials and tribulation. Many of you have have. Uh, have seen this tattooed on people, you see it in their homes they they put it on the back of their cars. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Well, folks, I got news for you. that passage is for those who are going through tribulation. That passage is meant that I can suffer all persecution for, because Christ is with me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me it 's not so that I can go be an nBA basketball player it 's not so that I can have the nicest job. It's not so that I can be popular. I can do all things through Christ's strength. He's specifically written for the church to understand as Paul had gone through persecution and he had gone through his beatings and imprisonment. He was saying, you can stand because we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And so in the midst of any turmoil or conflict that we're going in life, when that raging river is flowing over us, when that that tide is trying to take us out, we can rest assured knowing that Christ is our rock and our foundation and nothing can happen to my spiritual soul. It belongs to Him. Do not fear the one who can take the uh, the body and can kill the body. Fear the one that can cast the soul. Did you notice in the passage that I read to you that this... Hell that these people will be cast in where there's smoke and there's ter- torment forever and ever is in the presence of God Himself. He will oversee the suffering of those who reject Him. Folks, that, that is that is nothing to take lightly. All we hear from pulpits around the, America today is, is God is a God of love and He is. And God will save all. Folks, we say it every Sunday that I break the bread with you. And drink of the cup. It was done so that many would come to saving faith. Not all. There's no universalism out there. God is not saving those who reject Him. And reject His Son. They will spend eternity in hell. And if they are here during that time. Those people will receive the mark of the beast. But those who refuse to worship the image of the beast. Will be subject to death. Revelation 14, 15 tells us that. But those who do worship Him will incur... The wrath of God. So, folks, what side do you want to be on? You want to be on the side of the wrath of men, or do you want to be on the side of the wrath of God, the one who breathed life into your very being? The, the breath that you have today comes from Him. If you ever stop and just wonder why this body still works, I do. I'm 66 years old. I'm saying, why well, has not worn out yet? Why? Is so, you know, I, I think of my car, and when my car gets a certain mileage, you know, I got to change the tires on it. Some of us have knee replacements. Your back your 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 springs go out in your car, your back kind of hurts like it didn't when you were younger. You can't run as fast as you used to run. You can't jump as high as you used to jump when you were young. Just like an old car, your body's wearing out. You ever wonder why God still allows our bodies to function? Your body will function till the day God calls you home. And he brings you home. That doesn't mean we abuse our bodies, folks. We ought to we ought to be taking care of our bodies. The body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Do we eat right? Do we exercise? Do we do all the things that we should do? No, no, we, we, we get caught up in the things of the world and we and we get so caught up in this stuff that we forget that, that God has given us this body. He's the one that created heaven and earth and everything in it. He spoke the stars into place. He gives us the life that we have, and he gives it to us so that we would have life more abundantly when we come to him in saving faith. So if you're here this morning, you are my brother and sister in Christ, and you can rejoice in that. Are are you living a life of victory? Or are you constantly wringing your hands going, Woe is me! Instead of rejoicing in the life that God's given you and He still gives you breath, do you know what He gives it for? To serve Him. And folks, that's where we get this messed up too. It's not about us. It's about Him. We get in trouble when we think everything's about us. When do you get your feelings hurt? When it's about us. When when, when do you get... When when that pride swells up and how dare that person talk to me that way or how, how dare them ask me to do this or that. And, folks, we've got to remember it's all about him and for his glory. I can tell you I am most content and I have more most joy in my life when I'm being obedient to Christ. That's when joy and peace is in my life. You know when conflict comes in my life? When I sin, when I'm disobedient to his word, that's when I see conflict in my life. And so you, you these, these, these folks that will be alive during this time, they will not incur God's wrath. They will incur Antichrist's wrath. And along with being the spokesman for them, the image will condemn to death those who refuse to worship the holy pair. Who am I talking about? I'm talking about the false prophet. Will he be out there? Remember, he is the religious leader. They have set up a a statue of the Antichrist and they're to worship him. It's hard to believe that that will happen, but that's exactly what will happen. And whoever this false prophet turns out to be, the final world deception and the final apostasy will be great and the whole world will be caught up in it not part of the world but the whole world so that brings us to and i want to introduce you to another group of people that we have to understand and their place and who they are and that's the 144,000 in revelation 7 verse 4 it says and i heard the number of those having been sealed 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of israel So what what is this here? This this 144,000, they will be super evangelists. There will be 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of Israel, an exact number. He didn't say about 12,000. He didn't say about 2,000 or 4,000. He said 12,000. And I take the literal interpretation of Scripture, and this is one of the clearest indications of God's election. He has sealed 12,000 people that will come to saving faith from each tribe during the tribulation period. These people will testify to who Christ is. And there will be 144,000 of them around the world sharing the gospel with a lost and dying world. The New Testament, folks, makes it clear that, and it's as clear as glass that Israel is not being replaced by the church. God did not forsake his nation of Israel. If you know your old testament, you know that he made a covenant between himself and Abraham. It was not a conditional covenant. God didn't say, Abraham, I will make you my people I'll make your people my people, they will be my people, they will be my children, and I will give them all of this territory, all of this land that I said I will give to them. I will make you a great nation if you do this. He didn't say that. He told Abraham, I will do this. And he is a God of his promise. If we, can't, if we can't believe God's promise about Abraham, why can you believe God's promise about your own salvation? God is a God of promise. And so the nation of Israel will be made whole and his people will come to a place where they receive Him as Lord and Savior. And it will start with these 144,000 witnesses. This passage reinforces, this is a critical passage that reinforces the biblical truth that God is not through with the nation of Israel. In the millennial kingdom, He will set up His rule from Jerusalem in Israel today. And then eventually, when He makes a new heaven and a new earth, and we will study all of that together in future weeks, He will create a new Jerusalem with a new earth and a new heaven. Though Israel failed, and it did fail in its mission to be a witness nation in the Old Testament, that will not be the case in the future. From the Jewish people will come the greatest missionary force the world has ever known. The result of their effort will, will be a redeemed Israel as promised by God and countless redeemed Gentiles around the world as well. That's you and I who are not Jewish. So folks will come to Saving Faith through their ministry. The 144,000 Jews are sealed, which means that they have the special protection of God. God seals them. They, will, they won't be harmed as long as God needs them to spread their message they will be protected. They are kept safe from the divine judgments that God will pour out on the earth. And we will talk about the seal judgment and the trumpet judgments and the bowl judgments that God will be pouring out during this time. And they will be protected from that as well as from the wrath of the Antichrist. They can freely perform their mission during the tribulation period. Uh, it's, it's, think about when the twelve were sent out. Remember when Jesus sent the 12 out and they went out and they, and they performed miracles and they healed and they did all this in the name of Christ? Not one of them came to harm, did it? Because God would not allow it. They were harmed eventually. When, when uh, tradition, church tradition tells us all but John were, died a martyr's death and John uh, died on a prison island. But during that time, none were harmed. And during this time, the 144,000 will be out and they'll be spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so their mission is to evangelize this post-rapture world and proclaim the gospel during the tribulation period. And as a result of their ministry, millions upon millions. As a matter of fact, the Bible says a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language will come to faith in Christ, Revelation 7 9. There will be millions upon millions of people that come to saving faith during that time. Let, Let me stop here just for a moment and say to you that right before we get into the tribulation saints, and I want to remind you that some of us become discouraged with sharing our faith with others. Some of you get discouraged sharing your faith with loved ones in your own family because you're afraid that if you say anything that they'll be offended and they may not come to Sunday dinner anymore. Or they may not go on a fishing trip with you anymore. Or they may not go hunting with you. Or they may not do fill-in-the-blank with you because you're afraid that if you share Christ, they're going to be offended and, and tell you that they don't want to hear anything about it. Well, folks... I'm here to tell you that God has put people in our lives that aren't believers, they are our mission field. You will reach people with the gospel that I will never reach, whether it's within your own families or whether it's at work or school. You have the opportunity to share the faith that I, that I won't have a, a, people, a relationship with. And so you, you we are called to speak that truth, not to be ashamed of the gospel. And think about the loved ones in your family that when the rapture does occur, if it's in our lifetime or in your lifetime or our children's lifetime now, it happens within the next hundred years. as people in this room could actually be there when it happens. And, and, and think about the people that are left behind that you shared the gospel with. There's nothing in Scripture that tells me this, but I said it earlier. I, I believe the first people can going to be saved is the ones that you witnessed to about what was going to happen. As they're left behind and you're gone, where'd mom and dad go? Where'd that goofy preacher go? Where did all those people that went to church go that said I should receive this Christ? And and I believe with all my heart that those are some of the first people that are going to be saved on that day when the rapture occurs. There will be people saved that day that you prayed for, that you shared the gospel with. So I ask you this morning, are there people in your life that you have neglected to pray for, that you've neglected to share the gospel because you're afraid of the outcome of what will happen? When was the last time you shared uh, the, the gospel with a stranger? When was the last time someone came to your house to do some kind of service and you talked about the Lord with them? I love this church because I hear stories time and time again uh, of people coming in and, and uh, telling me that, hey, somebody came by the house and, and, Pastor, I was able to share the gospel with them. What a, what a joy that is. Do you share it with you know when you go to Food line and you see the same clerk all the time or the same person stocking your shelf? Do you, do you talk to them? you take a minute out of your busy day? They're standing there stalking. They'll listen to you. you take a minute out of your day to tell them about Grace Harvest and and your love for Christ? Ask them, do you know Christ as Savior? I know it's awkward. What do you do? What do you do, preacher? Just walk up to somebody and say, hey, you going to hell? No. You don't say things like that. You walk up to them and say, hey, I I, I tell you what, I really appreciate. You probably don't get much thanks for this, but I really appreciate you doing this. And do you, do you mind me asking your name? My name's Mark. Now, I have an easier job than you guys have because I get to do this right away. My name's Mark. I'm the preacher at Grace Harvest. So let me tell you what I do for a living. For you, it's you may think it's harder, but it's not. You just have a conversation with them. You get to know them in 30 seconds and you say, hey, you know, I see you in here a lot. And I, I, I hope you don't think this is really strange, but I really feel compelled to tell you something. And you tell them what God has done in your life. That you were a sinner and you, God saved you by His grace. And if you don't know Christ, I'm here to tell you that Christ sent His Son to die for your sins, that you can live forever with Him. And you don't beat the person up. You don't, you don't Well, try to convince them to come to saving faith. You plant the seeds. Your responsibility is to open that bag of seed up and throw it out. God has the soil. He will decide whether it grows or not. We just need to be faithful in that. Are you afraid when you're at a restaurant? You be at a restaurant and you're having a conversation, all of a sudden Jesus gets mentioned. Do you notice how the tone goes it was really quiet. Was like, hey, did you watch the game? Did you see American Idol? Did you see this on TV? And then, hey, did you hear what the preacher said Sunday about Jesus? We wouldn't want anybody to know we're talking about him. Folks, we, sh- we should be ex- just as excited as we are talking about, and I'm going to nail you grandparents with this, just as excited you are to share that picture of your new grandson or your new grandbaby with, with somebody else. Or your child when it's first born, you can't you can't wait to tell somebody, right? I used to tell when Crystal was born. Kathy tells me she was not a pretty baby. I thought she was the most beautiful baby in the world. She was my firstborn, a little chunky thing. And she we went to we we was poor folks, and so we went to we went to the Ramada Inn in Petersburg. You know that abandoned. Uh, hotel that's there is now sits on 95 in Petersburg. We went up to like the tenth floor into this room, and there was a photographer there, and he took pictures of my baby on the bed. Right? We paid him 20 bucks and left. And uh and, and I, ha- I still have these pictures. And I used to, and I used to say, I used to say, man, isn't she pretty? And Kathy would go, would you stop saying that to everybody? She's not a pretty baby. I thought she was gorgeous as a, 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 as a child, and 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 I, I couldn't wait to tell everybody about it. Was I what, what? Am I like that with Christ? Am I like that with Christ? Am I so excited about my love for Jesus that I want to tell everybody how beautiful He is to me and in my life? Christians, we 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 get things so messed up in this life that we don't care. We do care about things that matter. I'm not saying that, but we don't care about something that's so precious to us. And that's the Lord. In Revelation uh, chapter 7, verse 9 through 17, we talked about the tribulation saints. And I want to read to you, I'm going to quote to you what John MacArthur had to say about this passage. Quote, there have been many times of great response to the gospel throughout history, including the church's birth on the day of Pentecost. The Reformation in Europe and in the 16th century and the Great Awakening in America in the 18th century he continues to write. During those powerful movements of God's saving grace, thousands came to faith in Jesus Christ. It has ever been the prayer of God's people that God would bring in such great harvest of souls and often He has answered. But there is coming in the future a worldwide response to the gospel that will far exceed any other in history and maybe all others combined. It will sweep the globe in just a few short years and produce a vast multitude of redeemed people from all the nations, making it the greatest movement of God's saving power in the world will have ever seen, unquote. Would you think about that? These are those millions upon the millions upon millions that will come to saving faith. They will suffer the wrath of the Antichrist. You will not have to do that, Christian. If you're here today, you don't know Christ, it's not too late for you. Cry out to Him for salvation. Acknowledge that Jesus died for your sins, that you can't pay the price, that God will show you mercy and grace and make you co-heir with Christ when you acknowledge in your heart that Jesus is Lord and Savior and confess with your lips that He is the Messiah. You will miss the wrath of God, but these people will suffer the wrath of the Antichrist, but their souls will be saved. See, the tribulation will be a time of great trouble for the wicked because of God's judgment. But it will also be poured out on these men and women. These these judgments that I'll be talking about in the weeks to come, the, the seal judgments, the trumpet judgments, and the bowl judgments, all of those judgments are being poured out when a third of the oceans are dried up and killed, when a third of the earth is burned, when billions of people die. Those will be Christians dying along with the ungodly. The difference is the ungodly will wait their final destination, where God will witness their suffering for all eternity. The Christian only loses this life during that time, and just like us, to be asked for the body is to be present with the Lord for them as well. It will be a time of great persecution. Daniel saw the Antichrist in Daniel chapter seven, verse 21, Daniel chapter seven, verse 21, waging war against the saints and defeating them. Waging war against the saints and defeating them. There will be not a crusading army. There will not, Christians will not be grabbing their stocked up ammunition and weapons and trying to fight the Antichrist. That's what, they will be led as lambs to the slaughter. We are told to do what? Love our enemies. Pray for this. This is a religious war against God's people. God's people don't respond with violence back. This is a time of utter destruction of the world and of men and women who believe in Christ. Now, how will these tribulation saints how will they hear from the gospel? Well, I've shared two ways. You, for one, you who've shared the gospel with folks in your own family that don't believe in Christ as Savior. They'll hear it from them. Another way is that there'll be Bibles. Bibles be left. Beyond their on phones and on tablets and hard copies. And I think that will be a great time for hard copies to be found. You know why? Because I think the Antichrist will do everything he can to scrub the Bible from electronic devices. And so it will go back to the hard copy of the Bible where people will memorize whole passages of Scripture, if not books, just as they did the past two millennium, as they still do in North Korea. You know, there's stories in North Korea where people will, will memorize a page out of the Bible and another person will remember a page out of the Bible so they have the Bible. Folks, we have the Bible and we don't even read it. We have it on everything imaginable. I'm sitting there in the morning and my Bible app comes up and says, boom, there's verse of the day. There's your devotion of the day. And then we have a faithful member of our church that sends me a devotion every day. I have hard copies all over my desk that I use when I study for Scripture. I have it on my iPad, on my phone. Shame on us when we don't read God's Word and the first thing we run is to our Facebook or social media to see what everybody else has got to say instead of what God has to say to us. And so they will hear these tribulation saints, people come to Saving Faith, they'll hear it from the 144,000. They will hear it from past Christians that were here when they before they were taken away, and they will read it from the Bible itself. And remember that these 144,000 we just mentioned, these Jewish missionaries who are redeemed and sealed by God during the tribulation period, they will be out proclaiming the truth. Immediately following the description of their sealing in Revelation 7, we read of the multitudes of tribulation saints who are saved from every corner of the world. So because of their preaching are saints saved everywhere in this world come to saving faith in Christ. Many of the tribulation saints was also heard of the gospel message from the two witnesses. And we will get there today I will talk about those two witnesses. The tribulation saints will serve their Lord Jesus Christ in the midst of these desperate surroundings. There will be underground churches at this time. Christians will meet. And they will sing worship songs together and they will pray together and and men will preach God's word to their congregations no matter how small they are so that they grow in Christ just as it was in the first century church Christian we are so blessed to be able to come on Sunday mornings here at either 8 or 11 you can come and, and pray with, with uh, the men or women in our church. We pray at 7 in the morning. We can come and pray. We don't have to worry about right now about my kicking the door in. Tell us we can't do that. And then we, we have a service at 8 o'clock. And we sing songs of praise. And we give of our first fruits. We pray and we worship God through the preaching of his word. We do a Sunday school hour. And, and then we do another service. Next Sunday night, we'll, uh, the first Sunday of the month, we have a, 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 a D3 where we have... Uh, we have the sermon preached, then we'll have discussion about the sermon and we'll have dessert. We, we're, we can freely do that, and yet God's house is empty sometimes. Why, why is that? Why is it that God's house is empty but other places aren't? What is it that, that makes us in our lives say that it's not necessary for us as a Christian to fellowship with our brothers and sisters in Christ, which we are commanded to do? We... We grow in our faith. Some people, I've had people say this, Pastor, I just wish I had the faith and joy you have in my life. Guys, I don't have any secret to tell you other than this, that he is my everything. God is my everything. There's nothing in this world or this life that matters more to me than my God. And those who know me know how much I love my wife. And yet she can't even compare with the love that I have for my Lord and Savior. My desire is to serve Him, to worship Him. He is the saver of my life and my soul. And because He loved me enough to send His Son to die for me, and because I have surrendered and I am now His slave, His doulos, to do as He commands me to do, I can love my wife like I never could have before. I love Kathy more than any man could ever love her without Christ. I love her because he loves me. And I can sh- and that love that I have from him, I can spread to my wife, to my children, to my grandchildren, to you. Shepherds are called to lay their life down for the flock. I don't, I don't take that lightly. I, I pray for you. I love you. I, my, my responsibility to you is to put Kathy second sometimes, to put my family second sometimes in order to serve you, the body of Christ. But that's what God has called me to do. And called the elders to do. But He has called each of us to love Him with all our heart, mind, and soul. If there's something in between you and God, be real careful. Be real careful that God doesn't remove what's between you and Him. Christian, we are called to serve Him. And He is the one that deserves all our worship and our praise. But I love this, what happens. The, The tribulation saints, they're persecuted. But I love what God says about these saints. For this reason, they are before the throne of God, and they serve Him day and night in His sanctuary, and He who sits on the throne will dwell over them. He doesn't talk because they wrote a bunch of books, Christian books. He doesn't say because they had a nice job and a nice house. He doesn't say they had a whole lot of friends. What does He say? Because they suffered for His sake, this is how He rewards them. They will hunger no longer nor thirst anymore, nor will the sun beat down on them nor any heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will shepherd them and will guide them to springs of water of life, and God will wipe every tear from their eyes. These are the tribulation saints that come to saving faith during the time of the Antichrist and the false prophet who will be killed as lambs led to the slaughter, and God will reward them for that. The great day of trouble will also be a great day of grace. Even as God is, is, is handing out His just punishment on the unbelieving world, He will be restoring Israel to faith and extending grace to all who believe, both Jew and to Gentile. The Jew are the chosen ones. The Gentile are all of us that are not from Jewish heritage. God has always, always been in the business of saving people always and the, that salvation will still be available even during the time of tribulation for us now those who've accepted christ we wait for the glorious return of our lord i pray that you pray along with me lord come come quickly and as we are raptured away from here and the tribulation saints come to saving faith in christ they too will receive the same grace that you receive but there will become an end to that there will come an end dear one don't believe any lie that you've heard that somehow when you die you get a second chance at salvation. There is no second chance. You die and there's the judgment. Those of us who are in Christ, we're with Christ and we will go before the great uh, we go before the judgment seat of Christ after the rapture. Those who are do not belong to Christ, they will wait in the holding place till that final day at the end of time when the when when the millennial kingdom is finally over and every one of those who rejected Christ as Savior will stand before Christ and He will cast them into the lake of fire. There is no second chance. There's no time in purgatory where you wait for the purging of your sins. It is a time now for salvation and what hinders you from coming to saving faith. That brings us to two more witnesses. These two witnesses... In Revelation 11, chapter 3, turn in your Bibles, flip over there, Revelation chapter 11, verse 3, Revelation chapter 11, verse 3. Here we see a description of the two individuals, the two individuals who will help accomplish God's work during the tribulation. I I just love the way God's plan comes together. We always wait for a plan to come together. God's plan is going to come together. We're just kind of, we're we're over here, We're, we're pawns, okay? Play chess, we're pawns. We're waiting for that day that God takes us off the game board. But here he's he's, he's got two more pieces into play. Verse 3 of chapter 11, And I will give authority to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1,260 days, and they'll be clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. And if anyone wishes to harm them, fire comes out of their mouth and devours their enemies. So if anyone wishes to harm them, he must be killed in this way. These have the authority shut up the sky so that rain will not fall during these days of their prophesying. They also have authority over the waters to turn them into blood and to strike the earth with every plague as often as they wish. And when they have finished the, the, their witness, the beast that comes out of the abyss will make war with them and overcome them and kill them. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also their Lord was crucified. And, the, and those people from excuse me, and those from the peoples of tribes and tongues and nations will look at the dead bodies for three and a half days and will not permit their dead bodies to be laid in a tomb. Those who dwell in the earth will rejoice over them and celebrate and send gifts to one another because these two prophets tormented those who dwell on the earth. But after the three and a half days, the breath of life from God came into them and they stood on their feet and great fear fell upon those who were watching them. And they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. And then they went up into heaven in the cloud and their enemies watched them. So this is the two witnesses that prophesy and witness during the last three and a half years the Great Tribulation. Remember, the Tribulation period is seven years. The last three and a half years is referred to as the Great Tribulation. And these saints will be prophesying during those last three and a half years. They'll be wearing sackcloth. And this was a rough, heavy, coarse cloth worn in in the ancient world to express Sorrow uh, and that 's why they w- will wear it. They will express sorrow over this unbelieving world that is being um, raked by god 's judgments, overrun by the demon hordes and the and populated by wicked, sinful people who refuse to repent what 's going to be amazing to you as we walk through this is that when God pours out these bold judgments. And trumpet judgments and seals judgments in reverse order. When he seals bowls and trumpets trumpets bowls, when he gives all those judgments out, people will shake their fist at God. When God does all of this, just as they did in in Egypt, they will shake their fist. Instead of repenting and coming back to God or to God, they will reject him even further. Their hearts are hardened. These two will mourn and grieve because of the desecration to the temple that will occur in Jerusalem. And remember that this city that is called um, uh, uh, Egypt and, and Sodom, the reason that he's calling it that, there's no mistake that this is Jerusalem because it says where Christ was crucified. This is how perverted the city has become and will become during this time turned everything away from the living God and worshiping Satan himself. So but who are these two people? Who 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 are these? You, we cannot and I please hear me my heart on this, we cannot be dogmatic on who they are because scripture doesn't specifically say who these two men are. But I will share with you why I believe, as many biblical scholars do, that it is Moses and Moses and Elijah. I'll give you several reasons. First, The miracles they will perform, destroying their enemies with fire, withholding rain, turning water into blood, and striking the earth with plagues, they're all similar to the judgments inflicted in the Old Testament by Moses and Elijah. And and why were they done? They were done for the purpose of repentance. That's why Moses performed his miracles. That's why Elijah performed his. They were done so people would repent. Elijah called down fire from heaven in 2 Kings chapter 1 and, and pronounced a three-and-one-half-year drought of the land. If you remember your Old Testament, you remember he did that very thing. The same length of time as this drought bought, brought by the two witnesses. Three-and-a-half years. Elijah did it then, and I suspect Elijah will do it again during this time. Moses turned the waters of the Nile into blood. In, in Exodus chapter 7, verse 17, Exodus chapter 7 and announced the other plagues on Egypt, and they're all recorded in chapters 7 through 12 in Exodus. You can go back and you can look at these plagues that Moses inflicted upon the nation of Egypt each time they rejected God's demand that he let his people go. That's the first reason. The second reason, both the Old Testament and Jewish tradition expected Moses and Elijah to return in the future. How do we know that? Because Malachi 4, 5 says... And they predicted the return of Elijah and the Jews believed that God's promise to raise up a prophet like Moses would happen before his return. We get that from Malachi chapter four, verse five. The third reason, both Moses and elijah and 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 you stop and think about it, Moses representing the law, and Elijah represents the prophets. Where did we see them appear after they're leaving this earth we We saw them appear with Christ at the transfiguration. Moses and Elijah were with Christ. And what was it? As I, we studied that together, it was a preview of his second coming. It was a preview of the second coming of Christ. So that's a, another evidence. A fourth evidence, both left the earth in unusual ways. Elijah never died, but was transported to heaven in a fiery chariot. We know that from 2 Kings 2, verse 11 and 12. 2 Kings 2, verse 11 and 12. And God supernaturally, what did he do with, with, with Moses' body? He buried it supernaturally so nobody would know where it was. Nobody could dig up Moses' bones. So there, that's why I believe that those two witnesses, again, it could be somebody else. We're not going to worry about that, but I'm just telling you that, that uh, there's plenty of evidence that it would be those two. Now let's go back to the book of Revelation. Turn with me to chapter 11. Uh, you, you should be there. In verses 5 and 6 again. If anyone, chapter 11, if anyone wishes to harm them, fire comes out of their mouth and devours their enemies. So if anyone wishes to harm them, he must be killed in this way. These have the authority to shut up the sky so that rain will not fall during the days of their prophesying, and also have authority over the waters to turn them into blood and to strike the earth with every plague as often as they wish. These, the two witnesses, will fearlessly, without any fear of man, proclaim God's judgment. His wrath, his vengeance, and the need of repentance. Because of that they will be hated and people will want them dead. We have you're starting to see that in the culture of America today and around the world. People are starting to hate Christians openly, despise them, openly mock Christianity. And and as you see, it's it's starting to wash away at the foundation of of, of this tolerance on the freedom of religion we have, where one day I, I firmly believe what will happen is they will point to mainline Protestant churches who have forsaken the gospel and are worshiping the devil himself in churches around America this very hour, and they will say, well, you say this is a sin, but they say that God loves them for doing that that way. So what you're saying must be hate speech. I believe we'll see that. And they'll point to other religions, people that don't take the Bible literally, who say that God is nothing but love and he will never cast anybody into a lake of fire. That preaching of that false gospel is sending countless millions of people to hell. Christian, we we have the truth and we need to let people know that yes, God loves them. He loved them enough to send his son, but if you reject that son, If you mock the one who hung naked on a tree, who was pierced for our transgressions, who who suffered and died, who cried out to his God, his Father in heaven, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? They reject that God and that love that he shows to you by just saying, receive him as Lord and Savior. They will suffer his vengeance. They will suffer his wrath. I wrote about that in the pastor's pen this this week. We don't like to talk about wrath, not when I say that the world doesn't. That's that's hateful speech. We're not going to get anybody to come to Christ if we talk about the wrath of God. But the sad thing is that's exactly what Scripture tells us to do is flee from the wrath that is coming. We have a warning, Christian, and we need to heed that warning. Why is this wrath coming to them? Because they have rejected the one who saved them, could save them. But they're going to be in a huge they're going to they're in for a huge surprise because fire will flow from these two as they try to stop them from preaching. You can imagine what it's going to be like. They're going to send authorities to them. First it'll be the crowd, then it'll be then it'll be soldiers and, and followers of the antichrist and they cannot be harmed. In both the Old and New Testaments, God often used miracles to confirm His messengers. They will be performing all these miracles miracles during this three and a half years, which is 1,260 days, this three and a half years. There will be a drought. They will be causing all this devastation. And the two witnesses will have power over the waters to turn them to blood and to strike the earth with every plague. You can imagine how hated these two are going to be. And they can't stop them. But eventually they're killed. Revelation, uh, Revelation 11, 17, uh, 10 tells us, excuse me, Revelation 117 7 through 10 tells us, and when they had finished their witness, the beast that comes out of the abyss will make war with them and overcome them and kill them. So he kills them. And then they're laying in the street for three and a half days and the whole world sees it. Could you imagine reading this in your Bible a hundred years ago? They would have thought, well, this can't happen. This is This is all nonsense. Uh so obviously Revelation can't be taken literally because there's no way the whole world can see these two men laying there. Folks, I got news for you right now. If if something happens in the in the world right now that is of major importance, all the phones in everybody's pocket right now is going to blow up. And so they're going to see this. The whole world is going to see these two laying in there and their bodies rotting in the street. And who is this person in Revelation chapter 13? That this beast that comes out of the pit, it's the Antichrist himself. And the world will rejoice with him at the death of these two. Matter of fact, it tells us that they're going to have a party. They're going to exchange gifts with one another. Isn't it the way of the world to celebrate debauchery and evil? And yet God, God will win out And I love when we see that these two witnesses after they're killed and they're killed in the same city as Christ was crucified they will raise from the dead and they will be brought up into heaven with God. You see, God is giving us a picture of what this evil world is going to eventually look like and what's going to happen. Thankfully, you and I as brothers and sisters in Christ and co-heirs with Him, will not experience this great tribulation period. But does it? Is there an urgency within you, today, to share the gospel with others that don't know Him as Lord and Savior, or you're just saying, "Hey, I punched my ticket. I'm worried about anybody else." Folks, I'm I'm telling you that we as Christians, God has has raised you up at such a time as this. Why is there a grace harvest here in Amelia? I I remember when we first came out here and and, uh, somebody who's no longer here with our church made the comment, why are you going out to Amelia? There's a whole bunch of Baptist churches out in Amelia anyway. And my response to him was, if you don't understand this yet, we are not just a whole bunch of Baptist churches. You show me a church that stands on the word of God who proclaims his truth, who believes what Scripture has to say from the first page to the last page, that's a church that you could go to and have fellowship in. But there are so few churches that people want to be entertained. You walk into our church, and you see white walls, and you see a focus on the cross. It's always going to be about the cross. It's always going to be about our risen Savior. It's always going to be about the Word of God. It's going to be about loving each other, nurturing each other to grow in Christ. I, I'm getting ready uh, in a couple of weeks, and I want to send this as an open invitation. If if you feel like you're a new member, I don't care how many years you've been here, and you want to go to the new members class that I'm starting, I'm going to be doing on, Saturday, on Tuesday nights here doing worship practice. We're not going to interrupt the worship practice, so we're not being here. We'll be in the youth room on Tuesday nights at, seven o'clock and we will be on saturday mornings at nine o'clock it'll be the same one so if you miss on tuesday and you want to catch up on saturday you can do that but you can come and and uh, we're at six weeks and we're going to talk about w- really what makes grace harvest different what w- what it is as christians we should be doing as believers uh, I, uh, I believe it will benefit you uh, I, I sent out specific invitations and don't feel insulted about this anybody who joined last year in 2022. But if you came in 2021 and you want to come, you're more than welcome to come or 2020 or 2006. I don't I don't care when you if you feel like you want to come. This is a place that we have such an opportunity to learn about God, whether it's a Sunday school where it's the lady study on Thursday mornings, where, where Gina has faithfully walked you through the gospel of, of, of uh, the book of James, and, uh, and you guys get an hour and a half of her teaching. You get mad at me when I go an hour. I mean, they must love you more, Gina, than they love me. But I'm telling you, we have such an opportunity here. Sunday school classes, Awana on Wednesday nights, family groups. There's so much for you to be connected with your church family. And my prayer is as the days draw nearer to that day of the Lord, that each of us draw closer to him. We draw closer to the one who suffered and died for us and that we love our brothers and sisters in Christ the way God intended us to do. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Dear ones, I, I, I'm I always cautious when I get into a teaching series and, and, and not expositionally going through a book of the Bible. If you're visiting with us today, understand that I went almost three years through the Gospel of Matthew, preaching line by line through it. This is a teaching series and a preaching series all at the same time as we as God wants his people to understand what will happen at the end. But you and I are here now. This is not the time of tribulation. So let's ask ourselves, how are we living our lives? Are we living our lives just going through the motions that one day we're not going to be here anymore? Or are you living your life with a divine purpose of each day when you wake up knowing that God has given you breath that day to serve Him? Through your job that you go to, through the school that you attend, whether it's home school or public school, the university you may go through, the job that you have, moms who are stay-at-home moms and faithfully take care of their families, teaching their children, managing their homes. Or, or do, we, do we do that with the purpose of glorifying God or are we just going through the motions? I will tell you that joy comes in this life from surrendering to God. The world's joy is only temporary and only fleeting. The peace that we have in us comes from Christ and He has given us all the peace. He said, I leave my peace with you. So I, I pray for each of us That if He gives us breath in the morning, we would strive to start off next week serving Him with a heart of worship and joy. If you're here today and you've never received Christ as Savior, you heard the gospel sung to you this morning in in numerous hymns. You heard it from the proclamation of this word today. I pray this is the day that you acknowledge that you are a sinful man or woman before a holy God, that you cannot save yourself and that you surrender your life to Christ and acknowledge that He paid that price that you could not pay. And that when God sees you, He sees Christ's righteousness and not your own. And you have become righteous before Him. If that's your plea today, you come and you grab this preacher by the hand. You let me know. The Bible tells us that when we confess it with our mouth, we are not ashamed of the gospel that leads us to salvation. Some of you, God has called you to be a member here at Grace Harvest and you've You've visited for a while, and this is the place that God says you come. Not a perfect place, not a perfect pastor, not perfect elders, not perfect people, but a place that desires to follow Christ. I pray that you would come and let, let me know that as well. Some of you have never followed the Lord in believers' baptism. You have been saved by God's grace, but for some reason you have been disobedient to the first command that God has given to us. We are called to, re- to believe, to repent, believe, and be baptized. Baptism doesn't save us, but is the outward sign of the inward change in us. And some of you may God has spoken to you in a way I can never imagine today. My conversation with you was one to you. It was a monologue. But inside of you, the Holy Spirit was having a dialogue. Don't leave this place without getting straight with God today. You come as the Lord leads. Father, I pray that your will would be done in Jesus' name.